0: Greetings and salutations to everybody out there in podcast land. This is the Judo Chop Suey Podcast, and I'm your host, Judo Dave Roman. I'm very excited to be back behind the microphone once again to talk all things Judo. On this episode, I'm going to discuss some of the listener reaction from the kata episode that i did last week the the reaction has been tremendous and i can't wait to get to some of the responses some of the email the direct messages there's also some judo related news going on around the world related to elections and related to the world championships and i'd also like to get to the marius visor q a he held another q a session just uh a few days ago and i want to cover some of the highlights there including a what i think to be is an absurd claim and i'll get i'll definitely get to that something that he stated on his q and a but first things first hope you all had a great week and i hope you all managed to stay safe and not get injured during training in 5 days i'm going to be heading down to the us open to take part in the coaching seminar So if any of the listeners are going to be there on Thursday for any of the coaching seminars and you recognize me, feel free to introduce yourself. I'd love to meet you guys. And like I said in my last podcast, if you come up to me and you recognize me, I'm going to give you a judoinside.com water bottle. And if a few of you recognize me, well, I've got a little bit of other swag from that Hans sent me from Judo Inside as well that I'll be able to give away. But the first person who says anything to me will get the water bottle. So I'm looking forward to meeting a lot of the people. There's, there's really going to be a, a room full of people that I've heard of that I've never met personally that I'm really looking forward to meet I'm sure – I, I got to believe that some of the people that I've either conversed with on this podcast or via email or, or just uh, via Facebook or online, I've, I've probably – I would have to guess that I would come across them on, on Thursday for the coaching seminar. Maybe not. Unfortunately, I won't be able to stay for any more days down there because I, I just – I, I, I got to – I have a, a student competing in the U.S. Open uh, the same one that got stonewalled at the USJA Summer Nationals last week. Uh, so I'm hoping that she's going to have competition. Now, I can't sit in the coach's chair because I'm not officially certified yet. And God forbid the same thing happened, that happened to Kayla Harrison happened to me. So, so I'm looking forward to going down to the US Open. I won't be able to see the action in person, but I know that they're going to Show the action online. So hopefully I'll have a chance to see her from a distance. I know her family's going to be making the trip again all the way down to South Florida. So hopefully there'll be competition for her, and I I wish her the best of luck. I haven't seen her all week, but I'm guessing that she's doing training in other clubs, which is a okay by me. Because we don't have, at my club, we don't have the type of uh, high enough skilled players in her weight category to practice with so hopefully she's been training and preparing for this tournament and we'll see how she does as for everybody else i'll be looking to watch this tournament as as much as i can it's it's a weekend that i got my kids and i'm sure i've got i'm sure i've got things planned uh next weekend i've just that i've forgotten about oh i know i'm going to a baseball game next weekend that's another big reason why i can't uh I can't make it down to the U.S. Open and watch the action live because I already had uh, commitments to go to a baseball game. So, Rays versus Rangers. Anyway. Before I get to the news and Judah related items, as you guys know and have been aware of. I like to do the housekeeping stuff at the beginning of the podcast. Things that are of a personal note to me. Things that I that that are of interest to me whether it's movies or shows that I'm watching or or kind of geek related stuff comic book related stuff well this time this coming up sunday well by the time you hear this it would have already happened game of thrones season 7 now over the past week I've been catching up on what happened at game of thrones season 6 because you know how it goes you you watch a season you kind of forget some of the some of like high points and and it's just common. It's common for me to rewatch the previous season of a television show. There was a ton that happened in season six. Lots of surprises. Lots of uh, rumors and and what, what would you call it? Theories finally settled. Especially the theory about who Jon Snow's real parents are. Which was fascinating to see play out on television. Yeah, there was just awesome stuff. That episode nine with the big battle and the retaking of Winterfell was just some of the best TV that I've seen in a while. Granted, it did remind me a little bit of Lord of the Rings and you know more like Return of the King, but it was still awesome to see that play it out with how Winterfell was taken and and what what's his what's his name that bastard's name the literal bastard on the show, uh, Ramsay Snow. That's right, Ramsay Snow finally gets his due after being such a horrible person for. For many seasons, and and it was a nice surprise to see the hound is not dead. I thought Arya Stark managed to leave him for dead, but he was one of my favorite minor characters on this on this show, and it's good to see him back. Let's see, Benjamin Stark managed to finally be proven to be alive, uh, and then you got um, Daenerys Targaryen finally leaving the sands and. And, and, and Marine with a massive army and a fleet of, of, of ships and stuff, so, it's just really interesting to see, oh, oh, and that's right, at the very end, I completely forgot about Tom and Baratheon committing suicide after he sees his wife and the whole city with hundreds of people to get destroyed because Cersei Lannister is just a bad bitch and all that kind of stuff, so... Cersei Lannister on the Iron Throne. I imagine she's going to get hers in some way. I mean, with all the death of her children, she's already paid the price in one way, shape, or another. But I got to think that her blood will be spilled sometime in this coming up season or at the very least the next season. Now, for those of you guys who may not be aware, who only watch the television show, season six onwards is delving into parts of Game of Thrones that have not actually been written by George R R Martin. So season 5 ended where see is it's at least it's my understanding where season 5 ended is is pretty much where the books end. So everything from here on now, it's we're seeing it played out on TV but George uh, Martin has not had a chance to actually write those books and I'm not sure why he's taking his sweet old time it's it's been over a decade, I believe, since he wrote his last book, or pretty close to it. So, come on, George. Get, get, get cracking and finish that story. We all need to see how things play out in the books because it's just the, the, the TV shows, like, just like any movie or TV show is going to cut out so much, or they're going to interpret events in a different way than what the author intended, so. Regardless of that, I can't wait to watch it. I'm sure if there are a, look, if there's any Game of Thrones fans out there, let me know what you think of the show uh, or what you think of the season or the series or, or whatever. I, I definitely want to hear from you guys. Anyway, on to some judo news. I would like to take this opportunity to announce to you guys that there's a new judo podcast that's out there. It's called Planet Judo and it's hosted by a fellow by the name of Lance Wicks. I have had conversations with Lance in the past. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he's worked closely with Hans Van Essen of judoinside.com and Unyo of of judocrazy.com in the past on different judo-related projects. And not only that, he's actually had judo podcasts in the past. I believe he had a podcast called European Judo Podcast. And he's been running a, a variety of different sites. And if I'm not mistaken, he's actually worked for the IJF as a technical director. So Lance is a fellow that's been around a while. And I was looking through, cause I have an, a, a podcasting application, uh, on my phone that I use to listen to different podcasts. And no, I don't listen to my own podcast uh, when it, when it gets published. I do listen to my own stuff when I, before I, I release it to you guys, but I don't sit there and listen to the whole thing again. So, um, but what I did on, what, what, the, what app do I use? Let me, let me take a look here. I, I can't ever remember the name of it. I just know that I love it. Oh, podcast addict. That's right. So I use podcast addict as a means to catch different, uh, RSS podcast feeds. So I, it's a, it's a fantastic tool that I, I use. I don't, I don't listen to, I don't go to different sites to listen to podcasts. I just put all the feeds into this one little app on my phone. So I decided to take a look, like I do every once in a while, for uh, search on Judo in uh, Podcast Addict. And sure enough, well, you see my podcast comes up. And I know I've talked about Original Judo Pod by James Austin. And there's another fellow that has in Japan that has a podcast that I can't understand because it's all in Japanese. Uh, but Lance's podcast came up, so I decided to give it a listen, and it looks, it sounds promising so far. I, I hope Lance uh, sticks with it. I'm really looking forward to hearing him uh, do more episodes. It seems like he's been doing episodes uh, since he started once every few days, which is really neat. So uh, I'm really rooting for you, Lance. I hope you. Uh, continue your work. I can't wait for James Austin to come back with his, his podcast again. The interesting thing about Lance's podcast is that through the service that he's using, you can actually call up Lance and, and leave a voicemail, much like I've asked you guys and challenged you guys in the past to do on this, uh, on this podcast. So I'm going to give Lance a call, and, and hopefully he'll put my... Voice message up on his podcast and just just to give him some words of encouragement and to keep uh, fighting a good fight because we need more podcasts out there. I, I don't want to be the only guy doing this. I, I think we need variety and given that Lance is on the other side of the world uh, in terms of where I live, it's it's good to hear about judo and judo related news and opinions from a different perspective, a, a non-American perspective. So. Best of luck to you, Lance. I hope you keep it going, and uh, I'm definitely subscribed to your feed, and I I highly suggest everybody else out there who listens to this podcast do the same thing. All right. It's time for my favorite segment of the Judo Chop Suey podcast. What time is it? Listen to reaction. This segment of the Judo Chop Suey podcast is sponsored by the Nick and Sai Show on YouTube. The Nick and Sai Show has been one of my favorite YouTube channels to follow over the past several years. They do a lot of videos of uh, doing judo and Brazilian jiu-jitsu and gi and no-gi situations. And lately, they've been promoting a video called Everything About Arm Spins. Now for you judo folks out there, the arm spin is Yoko Wakari. And Nick and Sai go into great detail explaining the nuances that make this throw work in gi and no-gi situations. But if you don't want to take my word for it, and if you don't want to take Roddy's word for it, or Dan Camarillo's word for it, how about Michael Jen's word for it? This is what Michael Jen of Jen Brazilian Jiu Jitsu says about everything about arm spins. The arm spin throw was a takedown I had seen before. However, this topic piqued my interest in recent years when I saw a friend of mine, who was a high level wrestler, use this technique on many skilled opponents. I'd always thought, one day I'm going to have to ask him how he does that throw. As a result, I was excited to come across an instructional video series called Everything About Arm Spins 5-Part Series by Monty Collier and his sons, Nicholas and Sai. This group of instructional videos lives up to its name. It really teaches you everything about the arm spin throw. Topics include basic mechanics, different variations, countless entries, combinations, counters, and so much more. The content can also be applied to both gi and no gi training. As a 4th degree black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and also a Judo black belt, let me say there's so much information in this instructional series that I have never seen before. So I feel that all grapplers of all skill levels can still learn something useful. I highly recommend this instructional series for anyone who is interested in enhancing their takedown game. As it, is, as it is an incredible value for investment. And I got to agree with Michael Jen as well. So there you have it. Everything about arm spins. Go visit www.youtube.com forward slash Nick Inside. That's N-I-K-A-N-D-S-I. And check out their video all right as I alluded to earlier in this episode the listener reaction was tremendous over the episode I did last week on kata now even though I'm going to get to different Judah related news items and such I almost envisioned this episode to be a continuation of the discussion that I started with kata and again this won't be the only time I bring up kata, but the reaction was just so good that it, there are some points that I didn't really cover that I wanted to cover that I don't think I could have done as good a job as some of the listeners did with their reactions on things that I didn't cover. And I really want to get to all of that. I'd like to start off with an email that I received from a Mr. Craig Wilson. It goes, Dead Judo Dave. <laughs> I'm guessing that meant to say dear, but it says dead judo, Dave. I, I hope that's not a premonition of some sorts. Anyway, I agree with your thoughts on the importance of kata. While I haven't participated in a kata competition myself, yet I do see a purpose in holding them for encouraging the practice of kata and subsequently grooming practitioners to have a deeper understanding of the nuances of various kata and enabling them to go on and uh, to teach them better. I'll be going to the 2017 USJF USA Judo Kata Conference in Missouri later this month featuring instructors from the Kodakon. I'm excited. Now, that's I really appreciate you sharing this, Craig, because I didn't know anything about this. And I went to the USA Judo Twitter feed to see if there was any information related to this, and there was not. So I decided to check on the USJA Twitter feed and lo and behold they don't have a Twitter feed which is I, I just think in this day and age you you got to have a Twitter feed if you're going to be running any sort of organization. But I do have to hand it to them they have a very active Facebook page. So I'm I'm you know maybe maybe the problem's with me. I, I'm not much of a Facebook guy. I prefer Twitter because I get the little notifications. Because if I turn on notifications for on Facebook, then it's like God. I, every time a friend updates their status for their cat or something like that, you know, then then I get a ding on my phone, and I've I've got en- enough dings going on on my phone. But I on on Twitter, I I follow certain people, including you, Mr. Hans van Essen, at judoinside.com. Every time you update, I get a ding. Uh, every time USA Judo does not update, I get a ding, and and certainly Mr. Marius Weiser and and the IJF. So. There's a few people I follow that I must have their notifications and updates right away. but I think again, a much better job could be done letting people know, especially if this is in conjunction with USA Judo that uh, that there's going to be a, a kata conference in Missouri. So Craig, I appreciate you sharing that bit of information and, and hopefully uh, other people will find that of interest. I received another email from a listener. That I will leave anonymous, but I just wanted to point out a highlight of something that he stated. He says, uh, As far as kata competition, I can see how one might not understand or appreciate it, but I find it, if nothing else, enjoyable. To the question of judging, there is certainly a right way to perform various kata as defined by the Kodakan, and that is where the judging and competition come in. So it is, or at least can be, more, uh, more than just a mere training tool, but regardless, practicing for kata competition. I should also think provide some additional training for Rondori and Shi'ai. So it's certainly not wasted time in my opinion. Yeah, so I receive a lot of response in regards to kata competition. Some supporting what I was suggesting and some kind of giving me the other side of it. Again, I don't have any strong opinions of it either way. And I suppose ultimately at the end of the day, if a kata competition gets more people involved in doing kata, that's ultimately a good thing. He also goes on to state... I have personally used kata techniques almost verbatim in randori, and believe that kata practice has made a great positive impact on my training. And I think that's the people who practice kata regularly will say that. And I I, I know there's a, a a fellow on Reddit somewhere I, I can't remember his his handle, but he is he is emphatically stated that kata training has greatly improved his judo and his randori. It's something I wish that I could do. In a more formal setting on a more regular basis. But I I just don't have those opportunities. But as I've alluded to before. Everybody does kata at some basic level or another. And that point was echoed by a fellow that I'll call Judo Oyaji, Who goes on to say. Hi Dave. How could I resist a direct shout out? I liked your kata section. You did a good job of pointing out kata as a learning And training tool and identifying very basic kata such as uchikomi or other drills. And he goes on to say, I'm sure a lot of people don't realize that. I would say that the biggest difference between these and formal kata such as nage no kata is the amount of information they contain. Now, this email he sent to me is very long, so I'm not going to read the entire thing, but there are some key points that I want to cover that I think are very important. He goes on to say, you know, finishing up that uh, formal kata such as kata is the amount of information they contain. That is, in uchikomi or other drills, you are generally practicing a very simple kazushi and then the sukuri. You are drilling it into your body and your brain so it can be done in an instant. That is the strength of kata, to drive those movements down to the subconscious level so they are more or less emerge when you call upon them rather than having to think them through step by step. Every throw you learned went from doing it A to B to C to an integrated whole. That is the process of kata. uh, That's fascinating. That's me. That's a fascinating uh, point of view. He goes on to say the more complicated formal kata contain many more layers of information. Kata is interesting in that not only is it a training method, but a way of storing information. That is why there is such strict adherence to the way it is done. As you learn more, you actually come to see more in the kata. Nage no kata not only contains information on the mechanics of the throw, but also distance and timing and provides examples of recognition and response to generalized situations. After practicing Nage no kata for a while at pretty intensive levels, I found myself doing ukiotoshi in randori. It was not the three steps in the throw, but rather as they came from a as they came in for a hip technique. I drew back, causing them to become overextended and off balance, and then did the ukiotoshi. My brain was able to generalize the situation. For example, that uke was coming towards me, and apply the training I had. The situation presented in kata may seem somewhat odd or stilted. Certainly nothing you are very likely to see in Rondori or Shi'i, but they are not meant to provide responses to exact situations. Rather, they present a generalized situation, a response from which you can build to responses in other similar situations. Now, I, I got to say here, this email is just blowing me away or blew me away when I first read it. And this is the kind of stuff about Kata that... Given my experience, now this fellow who wrote me is a godan, is, if I understand correctly. But given my experience levels, given that I'm just a student who teaches and, and not a real sensei, this is the kind of stuff that I don't know. And and this is why I'm very grateful for listeners like yourself, Jido Oy- Oyaji, and others who are willing to take the time to explain this kind of stuff that just isn't shared in many Typical competition clubs. I got to read two more paragraphs because this is just gold right here. He goes on to say, everything in kata has a purpose. The bows at the beginning are intended to make you concentrate and pay attention to detail, as well as to learn and observe and respond to the movements of your opponent. The knee scoots and katami no kata are an exercise for the hips. Plus, there are important principles of how to move around the mat. The specific distances are intended to teach distances and timing. In some kata, you change distance to put yourself outside of immediate risk of attack when changing positions. There are many lessons contained in all of it. That being said, the bows at the beginning and end could could be done in a more abbreviated fashion. But how much time does that really save? Kata competition, as you have expressed, some of the same misgivings that I have had about it. I have competed and won medals at nationals and was on a team that went to the World Kata Championships in 2014 and 2015. As I understand it, kata competition was more or less invented in the United States by Kaiku Fukuda Sensei. Her intent was to increase the number of people practicing kata and increase its popularity. International competition really took off after 2008 when the first World Championships for kata was held. That's interesting. I did not, re- uh, I did not know that. I tell you, I can't, I can't continue reading this person's entire email. This is one of those situations where I wish I had a blog and I just post this thing because this is just, this is, you know what, maybe I will create some kind of a blog because there's, there's some gold that I get in terms of email that I I need a place to store it and that, that I can always draw upon it for information or insights over and over again, just like the you know, I wish the old judo forum was still around because there was just some fantastic information there before it went to hell in a handbasket. A Reddit user by the name of Fleischlaberl, I, I think I got that name right, go, uh, goes on to say, Waza, uh, I'm sorry, he goes on to say, Kata tries to embody and show for the proficient eye the principles and the blending of the principles in a singular technique in a group of techniques. Kata shows the grammar, waza, the words of judo, and randori is like an essay. If you go deeper, there is only kata and randori. Kata is a closed form of teaching and learning judo, and randori is the open form of learning judo. Kogi, which means lecture, is a closed form to teach judo verbally, and mondo, which is question and answers, open the form. Shii is a specific sort of randori as an open form. To teach and learn Ukemi self defense, Nagewaza, Newaza, uchikomi, Nage and kata is kata. Why? Because you learn the standard form of a technique in a closed situation. I, I thought that was really interesting as well, and I, I really appreciate the response. This time this response happened on Reddit, not in an email. I got an email that made me chuckle a little bit. I'll leave the emailer anonymous, but he goes on to say my impression was that Kata competitions were away for middle-aged and older brown belted judoka to get their competition points on the way to shodan without the high risk of injury that Shi'ai brings. Now, I, I've i never heard that one before. I, I followed up with him to find out um, maybe what judo organization he belongs to, and he said USJA. I, is that true of USJA? I, I don't know if... They allow the substitution of competition points for promotions in their organization. I, I've never heard that. Doesn't mean that the emailer is, is wrong or it doesn't mean that I'm right or anything like that. I just, I found that a little bit interesting. I just never heard that before. And lastly, I got an email from somebody who stated that, uh, well, he implied that in his own club, he's got his own kata that he has created and has some of his students teach. I'm sorry, not teach, but uh, perform that teach other principles in Judo. And I'm curious to find out from anybody else uh, if if you've ever experienced anything like that. I know Judo has the official kata in the syllabus defined, but I know there are other Judo kata that is not officially recognized by the Kodakam. And I'm curious what you guys think of when instructors have their own kata that they use to teach judo principles can that be done i i've never seen a a, a kata done created by a uh, a sensei in more modern times for lack of a better word but i i would have to believe that there's there's some value to it especially if it's helping your judo uh, your students your judo students learn techniques and how they blend together Marius Weiser had a Twitter Q&A a couple of days ago on July 13th, and there are some questions of mine uh, that he answered, and there were some other statements that he made in this Q&A that I found very interesting and surprising and alarming, to say the least. But to set the table for that, those questions, uh, for those comments by him, I'd like to share some of the questions that I had. I had asked a total of three questions, and my first question to him was, "Mr. Visser, do you think we will see a return of Wazari Awaseti Ipon?" I do not think the accumulating Wazari is working as intended, and this was actually a follow up to my question to him, uh, asking him when the IJF was going to revisit the rules after the World Championships, that they had more specific dates, and you know what were they looking to to change after the World Championships or what were they considering. So he did not go into detail in regards to that. But with my question here about the Wazari Awaseta Ipon, his response was just a bingo. So that implies to me that they're looking at the way that they're scoring Wazaris currently. And I've been on record as saying before that I'm not a big fan of the accumulating Wazari. I would prefer Wazari Awaseta Ipon. Or I would prefer something along the lines of, if an athlete is ahead to wazari, the match is over. So, for example, if if uh, you got two people, you, you know, got two competitors, they each have a wazari score. Perhaps they, if they're not going to go with a traditional wazari awaseti pawn, perhaps a person who gets uh, who gets a two wazari lead over. Um, his or her competitor that that will end the match because right now I see matches that have three Wazari wins or four Wazari wins. I've seen four to nothing in terms of Wazari and, and that to me is a pointless match and pointless in the sense that nobody's going to come back from being down four w- uh, Wazari to nothing. They're not going it, to, it's just at this, at this level of judo, if you are up for Wazari, you're not going to give up the ippon for the loss. It, it's just not going to happen. No athlete on the tour is reckless enough to give up a major score, uh, 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 an ippon, whether it's on the feet or on the ground. They're just not going to allow that to happen. They're going to stall. They're going to do whatever it takes to let time run out. So I just don't think having this, this endless... Uh, Accumulation of Wazari is the way to go. It would be one thing if the matches were 10 minutes long, but at four-minute matches, there's just simply not enough time. Even for people who are down to Wazari, it's just not enough time to catch up in in most circumstances. I I have seen some people being up to Wazari and then lose the match to Nippon, but... It's just not going to happen if somebody's up three wasari or four wasari. It just there's not enough time. It, I remember somebody commenting that you break up a judo match in thirty second increments and stuff, and that at four minutes we're, we're, you're only talking about eight increments or so, and that's just not enough time. I, I I don't see how the accumulating wasari is working. I I think you need to have a system where apart from any pawn, a a lead that, that is basically insurmountable, which to me, if you're up 3-0, that's almost insurmountable. It's practically insurmountable. Um, I, I just think that needs to end the match right there. There's There's no need to have guys gripping up and stalling and watching that for two minutes. If there's a decisive victory, let it be. I also asked another question about the World Championships, I asked Mr. Visor, I see Suzuki is the title sponsor for the World Championships. Will there be title sponsors for Grand Prix, Grand Slam events in the future? And his response to me was, the main reason is that they have a factory in Hungary, and that was the real motivation for Suzuki. At the moment, they are just a title sponsor for the 2017 World Judo Championships, and it will be a matter of discussion after the event. And this, I'm highlighting this question that I had for Mr. Weiser because he made a statement in response to a question by the official Twitter account of the Mongolian Judo Federation. He stated that during this year, more than 1 billion people have watched the International Judo Federation World Judo Tour. And I followed up with him. I said, Mr. Weiser, with all due respect, are you sure about this number? Is the IGF confirming 1 billion unique IP addresses for the year? And this was just when I was assuming that these are online views. And he said, Hi David, this is our total figure for all linear broadcasting TV and online on TV." And he goes on to say, If you wish, we can deliver you the exact information as well as from the last worlds. And I said, That would be good to see. I used to work for the Nielsen company, so I have experience in this ratings industry. This is why this is of interest to me. Now something of interest is that in that tweet response to me, he actually called me by my first name, which I find very interesting because on my Twitter handle, on my Twitter account, at Judoka, it doesn't actually say my first name on there. My I use a handle of, of D-Rome, but my friends call me D-Rome. And you're all my friends, you can call me D-Rome if you want. But he used my first name, which makes me wonder if he actually listens to the podcast. So, uh, uh, Mr. Visor, if you are actually listening to this podcast every once in a while or, you know, on your downtime or whatever, feel free to let me know. And I'd love to have you on the show. But uh, anyway, moving on to my point about these these numbers here. I do have experience in the ratings industry, and I really did work for the Nielsen Company for about five years I know a little bit about the ratings industry. I I worked in it. I, I did uh, software testing for many applications within Nielsen, uh, pertaining to ratings, um, uh, gathering metrics and numbers for for television ratings. And let me tell you, if there are a billion people, if there are a billion eyeballs on the IJF World Tour. Then the athletes are getting robbed. Because just to put this in perspective. Last. Uh, I, I found a number here. That about. Maybe a little bit under 2 billion people. Watch the NFL every year. Uh, and that's including all games. All playoffs. The the Super Bowl. Probably uh, about. You know 2 billion people total. Uh, watch the NFL at any given point. And. We all know how much NFL athletes make. The top guys can can easily make 15 million dollars a year. And there is something if if this is true and and I look, I I'm not calling Marius Weiser a liar. I think he's misinformed. Either he's misinformed or his director at the IJF for advertising or whatever title you want to call that has completely missed the boat. And is not doing a good job. I'm sorry to say. I'm not calling anybody out in specific. Obviously, I don't work in that industry anymore. But somebody's dropping the ball. Because if there are over a billion views in uh, in Judo, you could call up any major corporation to ask them to sponsor. And the answer would be yes. And, and there would not even be a hesitation. The IJF could call up Budweiser, Coca-Cola, uh, you know, who else, um, Pepsi. They could call up so many people. Their the phone conversation would sound like this. It'd be like, hello, we're trying to gauge interest in you advertising on our product. We estimate about a billion. Yes, that's exactly how that conversation would go. If they called up any of these major corporations for for advertising space, whoever is in charge of advertising at that company would hear that number of one billion and immediately interrupt anybody at the IGF and say, yes, where do I sign? I just I can't believe this number and I I need to see concrete proof of this. Who's gathering the metrics? Because it's if it's Nielsen, you can trust the numbers. If it's anybody else. I just don't think you can trust those numbers. And look, the Nielsen company is a global leader in, in this kind of stuff. And yes, it costs a lot of money to get those measurement data. But if there are even half of that number watching the IGF tour over the course of a year, the prize money for each of these Grand Prix and Grand Slams should easily be close to seven figures. It, they... they Top people should be getting a million dollars per tournament win, not not thirty thousand dollars. That's 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 chump change. And if I I just I cannot believe that that there are a billion people. I, I just can't. It's 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 ludicrous because every single major brand across the world would be banging on their door to advertise. So sorry, I I just I don't believe that number. I'm not calling anybody a liar. I just think they got bad information. And I I saw this number claimed a couple of years ago, and we're not seeing these athletes get paid a whole lot of money, except except for guys like Teddy Riner. But but France has a completely different structure. You know, people like Kayla Harrison being double gold and and being. Uh, have, having won all the tournaments that she won on the tour or, or placed in she should be a multi-millionaire now if, if there are truly a billion people watching judo so I, I, I'm curious to see if they'll ever publish where they got that information but data measurement of this kind is a specialized science you can't just rely on I don't know whatever views you're relying on and there's another aspect to this too. You know, every time I watch these IGF tour events live, there are usually no more than five to seven thousand people at any given time watching the tour on YouTube. So I don't know where they get these numbers from. I, I I can't. I would think the number would be would be ten times that amount at least if it was if it was this popular. A fellow by the name of Julian Deercage on Twitter asked, Mr. Visor, any plans for an event with Judoka's head of state facing off? Who would win, President Putin or new President Batugla? And this is funny. This was a funny question to me. Um, Actually, Mr. Visor didn't really find the humor in it. He said, in Judo, we do not answer such questions. It is not in our culture. I thought it was a funny question. I think it's a good uh, segue into... A bit of news that happened about a week ago. The president of the Mongolian Judo Federation became the president of Mongolia. Congratulations to Batugal Kaltma for becoming president of Mongolia. He won this uh, after his opponent resigned. On the article on Reuters, it says, it reads here the opposition democratic party uh, uh, or Batulga of the Opposition Democratic Party won 50.6% of the vote on a 60.9% turnabout, giving him the majority needed to overcome his opponent, Parliament, Parliament Speaker Miegombo Gombold of the ruling Mongolian People's Party. The Reuters article goes on to say, The election campaign was marred by political mudslinging from all sides and the public perception that none of the candidates were fit for the job, according to Lusan Vadran Sumati, the head of the polling group Sant Maral Foundation. The worst election in Mongolian history, said uh, Sumati. Well, better to have the worst election in Mongolian history than to have no elections where the people have no choice who will be their leader. So, all I gotta say, congratulations to Mr. Batulga. I'm sure it's a well-deserved victory. He did a great job as the president of the Mongolian Judo Federation, where under his leadership, they enjoyed uh, great success on the International uh, Judo Federation tour. So I would venture to guess that he will be doing a good job as president of Mongolia. I know the two don't necessarily correlate with each other, but look, if you've got leadership skills, you have leadership skills, and I think that... Can be translated to a head of state position. There's one more judo-related news item that I wanted to share with you all. It it comes from my friend Hans Van Essen of JudoInside.com. Actually, it, I think he got this story from JudoCrazy.com. Unio, uh, you you all should take a look at both of those sites, along with Planet Judo by Lance Wicks, which is a news aggregator for judo. Anyway, um, goes on. So I'm reading here. In this story that there will be the mixed team competition for the first time at the World Championships this year in just, let's see, probably about 45 days from now is when I'm recording this is when uh, the World Championships are happening. Can't wait for that event. The story goes on to say uh, the winning team is decided as follows. uh, The number of contests won. Uh, If the number of contests won are equal, the sum of all achieved scores in the team will decide... Every ippon will count as 10 points, and every Wazari is 1 point. And the article goes on to say points will be given as follows. Yippon, Gaichi, Fusen, Gaichi, opponent does not show up. Kiken Gaichi, opponent withdraws. 10 points. Wazari is 1 point, a winner, win by Shido is 0 points. Well, that's really good. I, I love that. That's great. The same points apply regardless of whether they are achieved in regular time or during golden score. In the case of Osai Komi, during golden score, an athlete can continue to hold to gain maximum points. If the number of scoring points are equal, a random draw will be made and one one couple will refight a golden score contest where the first score or penalty of any kind decides the winning team. Well, after reading this, it makes me wonder a little bit if there are going to be changes to the scoring system, as Mister Visor alluded to in his Twitter Q and A, without going into details. I wonder how that's going to impact the mixed team event moving forward. I'm a little bit confused about the part about Komi during Golden Score. Athlete can continue to hold the game maximum points. I'm hoping that after 20, what that means is that after 20 seconds of holding somebody down in Osai Komi that that's going to be 10 points and not just an accumulating Wazari every 10 seconds or something like that. So hopefully that's what that means. All right. I know I just said that there's one more Judo-related item to get to, and this was a story about the mixed team events, but there is actually one more item that I wanted to share with you guys. Travis Stevens has a blog, and you can get to it at blog.fujisports.com. And in this blog, he talks about different uh, things, like uh, uh, whether it's techniques or dealing with small injuries. Uh, He shares some of the techniques that he's done on the IJF Tour, uh, other videos from other teammates on Team USA. And the last video, the the last thing he put up was a video on how he cheated over the last four years in IJF competition. And that that, that started, that initiated an interesting discussion on Reddit. Regarding whether or not cheating is in, in judo is is okay or anything like that, I, for the record, when it comes to my own personal judo and how I do things in competition at local competitions or how I train my students, um, I don't advocate cheating of any kind. However, I and I think some people took me to task on this. My feeling when it comes to professional sports and judo on the IJF tour is a professional sport. These guys are getting paid no matter you know whether you want to call it semi-pro or whatever. You know, my feeling is, is that if you're not cheating, you're not trying hard enough. And, and it's only cheating if you get caught. And I know that's really an ugly way to view professional sports. But look, watch an NFL game and I've used this example before every offensive lineman is holding on every single play in every single NFL game it's just a matter of whether or not they get caught and you can look at different sports like basketball you know wh- whether it's hand checking or or trying to get away with little things you know we I, I always think about the the classic uh, Jordan push off in the 1998 NBA finals I mean, everybody does little things to try and gain an advantage. I mean, look, I I could even argue that cutting weight is a is a form of cheating to me because when you step, when guys cut weight for a competition, and then they and and then you know once they get this their weight on on the official books, they end up fighting at a higher weight. Uh, they end up fighting at their walking around weight at times and not at the weight that they weighed in at. So you could argue or one could argue that in of itself is cheating as well because when they step on the mat, they're not under 73 kilos. They're probably probably about 74 or 74 and a half kilos. So, and I'm just using that one weight category as an example. But you know what I'm getting at. Everybody's trying to get an, gain an advantage. That, that's why people cut weight. That's why baseball players try and scuff the baseball a little bit here and there. They're, they're all trying to gain a, a, an advantage out there on the field of play. And when it comes to professional sports, I, I don't have a real problem with it. Granted, the the real big ones like doing steroids, I, that's a no, no, because now you're creating an unequal playing field, but trying to edge the rules or, 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 or take advantage of the rules, or try and get away with something when when everything else is equal. That that's that's. Di- I just think that's different than something like steroids or or you know doing something like Tanya Harding did and trying to take out somebody's knee. You know that was like twenty five years ago. Anyway, all right. So go and check out Travis Stevens' blog. It's it's really it's a really good blog, and I'm glad that he's taking time. Out of his busy schedule to post stuff up every once in a while. And it, it's great. It, it, Judo needs more of this kind of stuff. So that's going to be it for me and in, in this episode of the Judo Chop Suey podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, if you want to reach out to me via email, it's show at gmail.com. If you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you could do that at judoka. And you could always search for me on Facebook and shoot me messages there as well, which some of you have. I've, I've received a couple of questions on Facebook that I'll get into on my next episode. But you can always search, search on Jito Chop Sui Show, and you'll be able to find find me there. And you could shoot me questions. I I do I don't post on there as much as I'd like. I I've just had a really busy schedule with family and and especially work lately, which that's never a bad thing. But judo and training, and again, just a reminder: I will be at the U.S. Open on Thursday, attending the one o'clock coaches seminar class. If you recognize me, feel free to come up to me and say hello. I'm not going to put myself out there and and you know advertise myself. I'm not going to set up some kind of booth. But if I didn't say this earlier in the podcast or in the episode, I will be bringing my mics. And I'll be bringing my laptop and, and, and some, uh, judoinside.com swag for any of you who recognize me. If you guys want to sit down with me and do an interview, if you, if you see me recognize me and say, Hey, you know, let's chat for 20 minutes or so. I'll set myself up and we can, we can have a little chat and I could put you on the podcast. I would love to do it. If you've got something to advertise, if you've got something to, to say, if you want to give me a piece of your mind about something I said in the past, I, I'll, ta- I'll have all takers and, uh, and I would love to to have you on the program. So with that, I hope you have a great day. I hope you have a great rest of the week. I hope to see you at the US Open. But if not, train hard, stay safe out there, and until next time, I'm out. Gangnam star.